devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru Nanak. All glories to Sri Prabhupada Namaha Vishnu Padaya. Krishna Prasadaya Bhutale Shumati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Tinamini Namaste Saraswati Devi. Gauravani Vacharani Namaste Samadhi Paskachati Satami Mandi Namaste Guru Shri Guru Vaishnavastra Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahaganaraganatam Vitam Stam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvaitam Parijana Saita Vishnu Jaitan Devam Shri Radha Krishna Pradam Sahaganala Vitashri Vishakam Vitam Stam before we start, I'd just like to um, say in, in uh, a little memorial to uh, Ganga Prasad Prabhu, a.k.a. Ramit Narayan Prabhu, who just died of COVID. He was our physician uh, teacher in Detroit and one of the most loving, caring, exuberant devotees that I've ever known. I just got a message that he passed away. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya May 3rd, 2021, Hills In this manner, a dream to go over downhill, go the cows, Dvita and the Brahmas, Makam, the great sacrifice, Vasudeva, by Lord Krishna, Prajodhidhamma, urge, Yata, properly, Vidhaya, executing, Tay, they, Gopaha, the cowherds, Sahakrishna, together with Lord Krishna, Rajam, to Raja, Yehu, they went. BBT translation. The members of the cowherd community, having been thus inspired by Lord Vasudeva to properly execute the sacrifice to Govardhan Hill, the cows and brahmanas returned with Lord Krishna to their village, Raja, PBT Purport. Although the Govardhan Puja was performed in a blissful and successful way, the matter was hardly finished. Lord Indra is, after all, tremendously powerful, and he received the news of the Govardhan sacrifice with burning anger. What ensued will be described in the following chapter. So what makes some people jubilantly happy makes other people burningly angry. Let's end the purpose of the humble servants of his divine grace, A.C. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada, to the 10th canto, 24th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam entitled Worshipping God. 
The members of the coward community have been thus been inspired by Lord Vasudev to properly execute the sacrifice to go over that hill, the cows and the brothers return with Lord Krishna to their village, Raja. I am going to look at Jiva Goswami's commentary, which is not so just repeated it, so we're just going to do Jiva Goswami's. The cowards were inspired by Vasudeva, the superintendent of all beings. So, which part of this verse says that they were, without looking at the translation, just the censor, which part says they were inspired by Vasudeva? Prayodita. Does that word look a little familiar to anybody? Yes, it should. This indicates that they surpass the directives given and thus satisfy the soul of all beings. They perform the sacrifice properly, yata, because they could not give up association with Krishna because of the arousal of great affection. They returned with him to Raja, which was situated a little over Akrosha from Radhakanda on the northeast corner of Govardhan. By citing Aravada to negate worship of Devitas, Krishna established the predominance of action. Right? Everybody remember that? How action, Krishna was preaching that action is important and should worship work. Okay, so now, please listen carefully because Jiva Goswami is going to relate Vasudeva Prayoditama, the inspiration of Vasudeva, to the concept of action as given in Bhagavad Gita, especially Bhagavad Gita 18.18. By previous impressions, one develops a tendency to perform actions. Thus, being being fixed in actions is based on the root of actions, impressions. Then, inspired by Antaryami, who's Antaryami? Supersoul. Yes. Okay. According to the impressions, a person performs actions. Okay, so can anyone explain this now? Depending on your uh, sankalpas or your uh, impressions, Krishna will inspire you to act in a certain way. Yes, according to your sankalpa, your determination, and your sanskaras, your impressions, Antaryami, the super soul in the heart, will give inspiration to do a certain karma, to do a certain action. Thus, the power of action alone is rejected. So by saying Vasudeva Prayotitama, that you're inspired by Vasudeva, it's reminding us that action in and of itself, if you try to just isolate action, it doesn't work. By one's nature in the gunas such as sattva, one can accomplish livelihood. Since there is effort necessary to attain one's objectives, action should never be omitted. So it's not that you don't do action, but it's not the whole thing. You have to have the whole picture. It was stated that one was that one must worship one's means of livelihood, which provides sustenance and maintenance. Thus, predominance of karma action was emphasized, and the purpose of these unlimited actions is one's bhakti. So here we have another important point, that whatever we're doing in our livelihood, the purpose of that is bhakti. The main characteristic of the excellence of bhakti is worship of the devotee. 
Thus, Lord should be worshipped. That is the conclusion. So how Jiva Goswami is taking Krishna's philosophy of work, adding it with the Sasudeva, the Chorita, and explaining how under the impetus, the inspiration given by Krishna, according to one's Sankalpa Sanskars, one will engage in action. That action should be done for one's livelihood, but that should be part of bhakti. The intention of Krishna was as follows. I know the Supreme Lord have taken the form of their son. Who else is their Lord and who are these devotees? Now listen to this carefully. Their inspiration for action is simply their nature filled with prayer for me. So that's the inspiration for the pure devotees. It's not based on mundane, some mundane samskaras. Non-acceptance of devotees in my human pastimes will bring them closer to me. But in order to protect the human pastimes, I am not eager to promote this. And we talked about this before, that Krishna is not trying to promote himself as God to the Vrtvasis. So he's not going to just say to them, well, don't worship the demigods, worship me. So instead, he talks about action. Thus I will accomplish my purpose by making them understand the teachings of atheistic nonsense and Kavada. This, te- this thinking should be understood in other places as well, where Krishna preaches other philosophies. All right, so I want to look at what is inspiration, and I would uh, suggest that sometime today you Google on inspiration Sadhuta, and you will find an old Akhidhade article where my late brother Sadhuta Prabhu wrote about what is the nature of inspiration. On inspiration, if you Google on inspiration, Sakuta, you will go to that old Back to Godhead article. And I'm not able in the time allotted to get all the points of it. Uh, but his main thrust is that when we understand something, when we understand what to do, it's not just through our own actions, as Jiva Goswami is saying here. It's not just that I work hard, I work hard, I work hard, I work hard, and then I know what to do. There's something else involved. So we're going to look at the points that Buddha Prabhu makes about mundane inspiration. Then we're going to go to Jiva Goswami's referencing Gita 1818, and then we're going to look at the inspiration of these Prajhasis. So Sadhguru Prabhu is giving a lot of examples from science, mathematics, and art of very famous people who worked very hard for a long time to come up with solutions and then suddenly got an inspiration and they knew what to do. Right? Here's the famous example, of course, of Archimedes who jumped out of his bathtub saying, Eureka, Eureka. But there's, there's many, many other examples as well. And some examples of people who received sudden inspiration without having previously worked hard at all. And here's the example of Mozart who said, if I'm in a good mood and walking in nature, all of a sudden the whole symphony comes to me as a complete whole. And I'm sure we've all had experience of this kind of thing, where all of a sudden we just understand something. Yes? Who here has had that kind of experience? Now, sometimes, again, it's after we do a lot of work, and sometimes it's without having done a lot of work. And 
The most dramatic experience for me with this was when I was working on writing the Learn to Read books, which look like very simple books, but they're, they're not. Each book has to have certain words in it and cannot have any other kinds of words in it. It has to have a word that follow a particular pattern and it cannot have any other words. I mean, an example of how difficult this is is we're teaching the making the long U sound with U consonant E. And so I mistakenly put in the word huge without realizing that with huge, the G is also making the soft J sound because it's being followed by E. And we haven't taught that yet. And so I had that in an early version and then I had to take out. It doesn't fit. And then we also had about 15 criteria for each book, how long the sentences could be, how many sentences on the page, the type of the font, the size of the font, the relationship of the picture to the text, what kind of sentences you could have, complex, complex, compound, complex, compound, simple declarative questions, so forth, the sort of intellectual concepts that you could have, how many sentences could be in a story altogether. It was an extremely complicated thing. And then the stories had to be interesting. And they had to have a beginning, middle, and end. And they had to have a climax. And as I was told by Beverly Randall and Nelson Thorne's PM Publishing, they had to have children as the heroes, not adults as the heroes. And then, of course, they had to have something to do with Krishna. So it was extremely complicated and difficult. And I would be working for days and days and days and days. And I'd, I'd work for a while, and then I'd go chant Java for a while, and I'd work for a while, and I'd chant some more, and I'd work for a while, and I would fail, and I would fail, and I would fail, and I would fail, and I would fail. And then all of a sudden, it would come. And this happened over, and over, and over, and over. And I would work until I couldn't work anymore, and then I would say the sloka that Bhima said to Krishna when he couldn't kill Jarasandha after 28 days. I don't have the Shakti to kill Jarasandha. Abhyaya explained the Tejasa that Krishna gave his Tejasa, his potency, to Bhima and a little hint by tearing him out. Anyway, then I would get it. Two of the books came to me uh, without any effort on my part at all. So there was one book I hadn't even started yet, and I was in the temple room in Auckland in the morning chanting Java, and all of a sudden at 6 o'clock in the morning, the whole book was in my mind at once. I just, that was a chicken soup for a cat. And which is the one book we get criticized on by the leaders because it probably pushes vegetarianism. But now, you know, I think Krishna wrote that book. I did. And the other one was Seven Things for Krishna, where the first time I sat at my computer to write it, the book just wrote itself. I didn't even know where it was going, and there it wrote itself. And every time I read that book, I cry. I just remember how, how Krishna destroyed it. So sometimes inspiration happens like that, right? Sometimes we work really, really hard, and it's just, I give up, Krishna. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. And then, shh, it's there. And other times, we don't even do any work. It's just, shh, it's there. So Sadhguru has two characteristics of this inspiration that the source lies beyond the subject's conscious perception. We don't know where this comes from. And that it provides the subject with info unattainable by any conscious effort. And generally, inspiration comes as a package. You see the whole thing. 
But again, he gives many examples in math and science and art. So the materialists try to explain that we have some kind of mechanistic process in the brain where somewhere in the subconscious, the subconscious is doing this incredible calculation of all the possible solutions without our conscious knowledge. And then when the time is right, the subconscious knocks on the door of the conscious and says, hey, I figured it out, here it is. And Sadhguru who explains, as you know, he's a mathematician, how this is mathematically so improbable as to be impossible. That the number of possible solutions to our situation, especially highly complex things, I and mean, he gives examples of mathematicians who came up with final solutions that required proofs that involved things that weren't yet known at their time. So how could their subconscious have come up with this? Right? And he also gives the example in science, and I, I found this very interesting, that you know we have this idea or we're taught uh, in school that the way science works is I observe, and from my observation I come up with a hypothesis, and then I test my hypothesis. But he was saying, how do we come up with that hypothesis? You know, one of the six objections to empiricism is that there's an infinite number of stories to explain any set of facts. So how do we come up with this particular story to, to explain the facts? Or in that, how do you come up with the a priori assumptions? And he says this is also inspiration. So where does this inspiration come from? I, I find it one of the most wonderful aspects of the Vedic philosophy, and particularly our Vaishnava philosophy, and particularly our Gaudi Vaishnava philosophy, that we not only explain the transcendence, but we also explain the world. You know, a, a spiritual philosophy that only explains the spiritual and doesn't explain the world of our everyday experience is very incomplete. The same with a philosophy that doesn't explain how to live socially which is what Jesus was telling is tying in here because Krishna is talking about livelihood. So Krishna also explains, of course, as Shri Prabhupada says in a very summary way in Bhagavad Gita, how the world works, especially in chapters 13 through 18. Of course, this is explained in much more detail in the second and third cantos, particularly the Srimad Bhagavatam. How does the world work? And these are subjects that I know from having uh, taken such a class in UNC Chapel Hill, the doctoral level, which was the philosophy of research, that the materialists haven't figured out at all. Why do we do anything? Where do we get these inspirations? Where do we get our motivations for action? Where do we get inspired with an idea? Where do we get our sankalas from? <laughs> where, where, where does it come from? What's driving us? What's motivating us? They haven't a clue. So in Bhagavad Gita 18.18, Krishna says, Jnana neyam prignata trivida karma chodina. Chodina, sorry. Karma chodina. So chodina, which is a very similar word, is what is the inspiration for work? Why do we do what we do? Well, it's the action itself. Yes, but it is also the inspiration for the action is myself, my goal, and what I know. 
and the what I know part is being given by God. Just like Krishna also talks about the five factors of action, and one of them is the Lord. I mean, without that, I can't even remember all of my desires, and I can't even remember all of my impressions. In fact, some of this is even from past lives, that we had some desire in a past life, we wanted vengeance on an enemy, and Krishna says, there's your enemy, marry her and get vengeance. Well, that, that is exactly what he does. Or hire him and get vengeance. You'll have your opportunity. Or, oh, you wanted to do good for this person in another life. Marry them and help them. Give birth to them and help them. There they are, there they are. Here's your opportunity to do what you want to do. So Krishna's giving us that kind of uh, inspiration. Now, the kind of inspiration we want is the kind of inspiration Jiva Goswami is talking about here, an inspiration in Bhakti. Yes? I mean, everybody asks this question, wherever you go in the world, how do I know what to do to advance? What's the best thing I can do? We had a session on the whole name a couple days ago, and it was one of the questions. What can I do to improve my jumper? Or what can I do to make more progress? Or people were asking me yesterday, what can I do for, with my teenagers? No. <laughs> so this, this is what we want to know, is how to get this inspiration. And I was, I was thinking a lot about the Gayatri mantras, especially because we recently wrote this paper on the Brahma Gayatri. Right? And we're asking at the end of the Brahma Gayatri, I meditate on he who gives us enthusiasm. Right? It's, it's practically speaking the same word. You know, if we look at the Brahma Gayatri, the first part is Samanda, that beyond the material universe, and beyond it can also be explained as this, the gross and subtle body, is the all-effulgent one who can be understood as Surya Ryan or Chaitanya, or Krishna. I meditate on his shakti, I meditate on his effulgence, which can be understood as the light of the sun, or Srimati Dharani, which, which is Abhideya, what do I do? I meditate on that. And then the, the Lord and the Lord's energy inspires me, and enthuses me, and directs me. And that's why this mantra had to be learned and chanted before one could study the scriptures in Vedic times. One was not allowed to touch the scriptures unless one had received this mantra. Why? Because otherwise one may go to the scriptures with some mundane conception, and one may impose one's mundane conception upon the scriptures, one may misuse the scriptures. But by meditating on this mantra, receiving obedience to a guru who determines, interestingly enough, you have to be at least to a great extent in Sattva even to be able to chant this mantra, that then you receive divine inspiration. You know, Archimedes wants to know how to figure out a golden crown, and Mozart wants to know how to write a symphony, but we want to know how to approach Krishna. So we have this meditation. 
And of course, and our, the mantras Prabhupada gave us, we also asked for inspiration from Guru, and we also asked for inspiration from Lord Chaitanya. Of course, the last verse, which Prabhupada describes a lot, and he writes out the whole verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Vajrayula age 138. Uh, that's interesting because they were meditating on Krishna being enthused by his Mahabharya love. Uh, what enthuses Krishna? What inspires Krishna? Uh, that's a whole other topic which we will not touch on today. Uh, but this concept that we are being inspired by the Lord and how we recognize it, the difference between the devotee and the non-devotee is we recognize that I am wholly dependent on the Lord for inspiration and guidance. I can have my desire, I can have my goal, I can have my impressions, I can do my action, but without the inspiration of the Lord, I don't accomplish anything. And this is our acknowledgement. And this is one of the ways that one of the six symptoms of surrender is described. So there's different translations of the six symptoms of surrender, which, by the way, are understood by all the followers of the Vedas. It's not something we go to talk about the six symptoms of surrender, the necessity of surrender. In fact, the Shivaishavas put a lot more emphasis on the surrender of Sharanagati than we do. But one of the six symptoms of surrender can be defined as knowing that one is not independent in fulfilling one's desires that we are dependent on the direction and the inspiration from the Lord. So Jiva Goswami says, what are the residents of Raja desire? Their inspiration is they have a nature filled with praying for Krishna. What they're desiring is, I want to love Krishna more. I want to love Krishna more. I want to love Krishna more. And how funny this is, because instead of Krishna saying, oh, you want to love me more? Let me inspire you with worshiping me instead of Indra. I mean, that's what he might do for people like me. But for the Vajrasis, they don't have a sense that Krishna is God, generally. Generally, sometimes. They, they remember a little bit, like the gopis looking for Krishna who said, We know you're not the son of love, the We know you're the Atrikami, you're the indwelling witness in everyone's heart. We know who you are. So they, they know, sort of, ish, as they say today. No ish. <laughs> that Krishna's God. But that's not their meditation, and that's, it's actually a disturbance. Right, let me so it's easy universal form. Oh. <laughs> and Krishna goes, oh, I'm your son. Yeah? So Krishna, instead of saying, worship me instead of worshiping Indra, he says, just worship your work. And Gorda, and worship Gorda. Who is Krishna? So he inspires them in that way. And the interesting usefulness of this for people like me in this world at this time is that we can have our livelihood as inspiration for bhakti. So I had asked this by these two ladies yesterday who were asking me how to inspire their teenagers. They have one who's about to go to college. And 
First, they're talking about how he's interested in girls and he wants to get married, but they want to make sure he has his education and career down first. Okay. And then they say, should we encourage him in career or should we encourage him just to do full-time bhakti? And Okay, this is not a question. <laughs> I said, you already said he wants to get married and want to have a career, and then you don't know whether or not to encourage him having a career. And I said, the whole essence of the Bhagavad Gita can be understood as your career can be part of your bhakti. I said, do you have bhakti infused in your career? I asked each of them. And they were like, yeah, I do. As much as I can. Now you might say, well, that's easy for Nandi Maharaj, Nandi Soda, to have their career infused with bhakti. When Nandi Soda is preparing the milk products, she's singing songs about Krishna, and Nandi Maharaj is taking care of cows, thinking, my son will take over and he'll take care of the cows. We're having the milk is being given for Krishna. You know, Krishna's right there. Uh, but Krishna's right here, too. I had just uh, an actor devotion Prabhupada was talking about how the way we get free from material life is by worshiping the deity set at home. Interestingly enough. Making the deity the center of your home. I'm working for Krishna. How am I acting in bhakti in my work? You know, I always like to look at Bhagavad Gita 12, 13 through 20. When it was a kind friend to all living entities. When he's free from happiness and distress, fame, infamy, honor and dishonor. I think Krishna says free from happiness and distress like four times in those verses. He doesn't give any anxiety to others. And that's one of the angas of bhakti, not to give anxiety to others. It's that one of the angas of bhakti to be equal poised in happiness and distress. And the lady was saying to me, yeah, you know, I, I actually do practice that at work. And other people at work say, how do you remain equal poised in all these difficulties? That, as Jiva Goswami is saying, through our livelihood, we can also develop bhakti. Through our livelihood, we can also develop bhakti. Through everything we're doing, Krishna says to Uddhava, both through the injunctions of actions based on Shastra and through ordinary work, one should be worshipping the Lord. And then we say, I don't know how to do that. Well, we have the instructions of the Shastra, but you know what else we have? Inspiration. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to spiritualize my work. I don't have to spiritualize my family. I don't have to do it. Krishna, help me. Show me. Show me how to serve you. How do I remember you while I'm shooting arrows? Show me. Inspire me. And because that's what he wants us to do, to see him everywhere, think of him everywhere, dedicate everything to him, why will he not? If he's inspiring, you know, our trees and books are what with their things in the world, why would he not inspire these devotees? Maharaj, you have something to add? No. 
Anybody? To breathe in, oh. So, it, it, so it's like just like the air is everywhere, and we breathe in for life. So Krishna is everywhere, and the inspiration can come. You know, I really like that Vishnu inspiration for those who are, are listening. Vishnu is saying inspiration means to breathe in, and Krishna is everywhere. In fact, Krishna says, "I join you with the air of life." Yes. 1510. And Arjuna seeing the Vishnu says, You are air. Yes. I was thinking, what came to mind, uh, because I used to work in this world for some seven years, was that this time, what my spiritual master said about Sankirtan, um, and that's our purpose, and that, you know, Sankirtan is done in the mood of the gopis, and then if that's the mood, then trying to find. Krishna in the heart of every living entity is sanctified, so that when you're going to work, we have Krishna in the heart. We have him on the altar, but as we're going to work, if we're carrying Krishna in the heart and seeing ourselves as a temple, we're walking in to work with the temple and with Krishna, and then trying to identify and share and connect with the fact that all the other living entities have Krishna in the heart and serving them, and with that mood, then They'll, they'll see that. Like you said, the coworker, like, it's recognized by other people that are around you when you come in with that mood of trying to serve other people and have compassion and connection with them. I wish I had time to repeat the whole thing you said because it was so dramatically beautiful. And that is a lot of what Krishna talks about in Bhagavad Gita. To Arjuna, who is telling, hey, go do your career, buddy. Krishna consciousness isn't walking away. You know, if you want to do that, Arjuna, sure. Sit down, dear skin, go to a secluded place, forget about the openness of Vajra, you just hear the kingdom, and, you know, look at the tip of your nose, and Arjuna goes, potentially, you know, Krishna, I can't do that. And then Krishna says, okay, then. Fight as a service. Do your, do your royal duty as a service. And that's what he's talking about, right? Panjit does some of Thank you, thank you. Yes, Marsh. Uh, the idea of when Prabhupada gave to Mahamara, to Mahakrishna Maharaj's service, he didn't want to do the service. And Prabhupada said, hey, just sit down and do nothing. Sit down and just sit down. And he said, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah, to China, he wanted to say. Right, I was just saying, when Prabhupada told Mahakrishna to go to China, Mahakrishna said he didn't want to do it. And Prabhupada said, okay, just do nothing. That's exactly what Krishna did to he said, fine, because Arjuna can't argue with him. Yeah. You can see Arjuna's bringing up these arguments, especially in the fourth chapter, the fifth chapter. He's like, why do you want me to do this at all? Okay, fine. God, fine. You don't want to fight, you don't want to take. Fine. Here's what you do. Stare at your nose. Keep <laughs> on Raise your right air. Live in the forest. Right? And Arjuna says, uh, this sounds really impractical to me. What happens to all the people who fail on this method? Shila Prabhupada Kijai.